Today's reading is Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning is in the church calendar known as Palm Sunday. And now this is the day that signifies the beginning of Holy Week, the last week of the life of Jesus before he is crucified and then before he is raised again. In many ways, this is like the beginning of the end of the story. This isn't like the TV show or TV series drama. This is the penultimate episode. Before the finale, the one where all the different pieces and major players are put in place that will end up ending in the cliffhanger that is the cross with Jesus being raised to his death before he is raised to new life. And so Palm Sunday is this moment in which the cross, or from here on out, the cross will become more and more inevitable. And so I guess one of the things that we need to keep in mind is where are we in the story and what does Palm Sunday have to do with it? And then I'd also just like to talk about Holy Week in general and how we might be able to enter into it and maybe meet Jesus afresh through it. So as you heard the story read, I'm not going to read it for you. I'm just going to kind of give some of the major components Um, before talking about Holy Week, we have Jesus who's about to enter into Jerusalem before his final week of life. And he tells his disciples to go and to, to get a donkey or a colt in a nearby village. And he says that if someone asks why, just say, well, my Lord needs it. And so, so they go and they do that and they bring him a colt. And then Matthew wants to actually give us some sort of insight into what this might mean for the people who are going to be experiencing this or witnessing it. And so he connects it to Zechariah 9, which is a text in which the people of Israel are being told that there will be a king who will come who will actually help raise you above your enemies, raise you above your oppressors. Those who are occupying your land will be thrown out and you will be again great. And so Jesus getting this colt, this donkey, riding into the city, of course people 
knew what this meant. They knew what to expect. Their grandparents and their parents have told them about this king. This is the king who is going to be helping release them from the captivity of the Roman Empire. This is the king who is going to give them back their land, give them back Jerusalem. And so there's no wonder that the disciples and the crowds are going to want to take off their cloaks and put them on the road and get branches and put them on the road. And then all of a sudden we have something like a processional bringing Jesus into the city where the people are crying, Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Because they know what this king is going to do. They've been told over and over again, this is what they can expect. But then as time will tell, we will see that Jesus, his agenda, his vision of power will look much different than the agenda and the vision of power that these crowds would come to have for him. What he was wanting, what he would do, would be so much different than what the crowds and even the disciples were hoping or expecting he would do. And so the people, the crowds who praise him on Palm Sunday would come to be the same people who on Good Friday yell out, crucify him. And so the question is, the question is, how might Jesus or how does Jesus and the picture of Jesus as we're given or as they're given in Holy Week, how does that differ from their expectations? How does Jesus' agenda and his vision of power differ from the visions of power and agenda of those in the, in the story? I mean, how could the people have praised him on Palm Sunday and then called for his death a mere five days later. And then what does that mean for us today? Now, 2016. Well, I'd like to talk about Jesus, his agenda, his visions of power, in reference or in contrast, perhaps, to three major players in the drama of Holy Week and their visions of power and their agendas. Because Jesus would look a lot different, a lot differently from those. So Jesus and his agenda, his kingship, his vision of power would look much different than the Romans. It would look much different from the Roman Empire. You know, those people who had some strong chariots, a strong military presence, who would rally the troops. Whose power looked a lot like coercion and instilling fear in order that people might follow them. Jesus' agenda and vision of power would look, would look so much different than theirs. He wouldn't be about political campaigns. He wouldn't be about nailing people to a cross and say, you better believe or else. No, Jesus' vision and agenda of power would not be like that of the Romans. But nor would it be like that of the religious authorities. Another one of the groups of power that we are met with in the story of Holy Week. Jesus' kingship would not be like that of the religious authorities who would be bent on a system of determining who's in and who's out. 
Jesus' vision would not be about finding ways of placating to the surrounding cultures and empires in order to buddy up with them so that they might instill within their own system status and rank and power and ways of actually oppressing their own people. But neither would Jesus' vision and agenda of power look like that of the rebels, which is another group of people that were met with in the story of Holy Week. If you remember the character Barabbas, as he's getting closer to the cross, people call for Barabbas to replace Jesus. They say, no, crucify Jesus, release Barabbas. Barabbas was this rebel figure. So we also have these rebels in the story of Holy Week, and Jesus' vision of power would not look like theirs, a system that's bent on violence or bloodshed in order to get their way, in order to make their, their way great, their agenda come to fruition. He would not be about creating a rebel militia in order to take down the powers that be so that Israel can once again rise above reclaim Jerusalem and be powerful again. No, Jesus would not be like them. And so you have these three visions of power in the story of Holy Week and this Jesus who is bent on actually being completely different from those. And as the people, as the crowds realize, okay, he's not going to be like any of those, nor is he going to upend those systems in the way that we think. So apparently he's not the Jesus that we or the king that we were hoping for. But this Jesus who we were so sure about, we've become uncertain about. He's created too much tension. He's not wanting to create comfort or security. Rather, he seems to be doing his own thing, not my thing. And so I'm going to order for his crucifixion. But see, the thing, the Jesus that comes to us in the story of Holy Week, the Jesus that we read about, in the Gospels, is a Jesus, is a person, is a king who is so much more beautiful, so much more wonderful than the people could have ever have hoped for. A savior, a king, with an understanding of power that was so much more sustainable than they could ever have thought. Jesus' agenda would first be the agenda that was given to him by his father. So Jesus came with his own agenda given to him by his father. He wasn't going to take up any other person's agenda. He wasn't going to act like any other group around. Jesus is God incarnate, God come to us, and he brings the kingdom that he is going to bring. Jesus would surprise. Jesus would not coerce. His vision of power would not be bent on instilling fear, but would actually be, be about trust and friendship. In John 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He didn't come to take away life. He didn't come to nail people to crosses. He came so that people might actually experience what it means to actually live as the person that God has intended them to be. 
His agenda wouldn't be propped up by boundaries of who's in and who's out. Rather, his vision of power would be one of invitation and welcome. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus' agenda and vision of power or systems wouldn't look like a system that would placate to the surrounding culture, bent on security and comfort, but rather one on trust. One that's about giving, not taking. One that actually finds its vision of power as Jesus who invites people to his table to have a meal with him. A a Jesus or power that actually says, let me wash your feet. And such a vision of power, such a vision of service would include invitation and washing of feet of the one who would go on to deny him. The one who would go on to betray him. And that's a a beautiful picture of Jesus bent on serving and sacrifice rather than wanting to take and to get his own. In Mark 10, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We see that for Jesus, his agenda, his vision of power isn't bent on bloodshed or violence like the rebels, but rather of giving his own body to those who would take it. Not perpetuating violence upon violence upon violence, but letting his, himself, be overcome by that violence to show it for what it really is, as against everything God is about. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, before we get to Easter, the story of Holy Week takes us from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And we see this this drama being played out in which we have a picture of Jesus whose kingship, whose agenda, whose vision of power is one that exists for the sake of other people first and foremost, completely, for the entire world. A Jesus who is willing to give himself over for our sake. A Jesus who is willing to say, my power is most perfectly displayed in the cross as a giving up of power. I mean, Jesus is confusing, is confounding. That understanding is completely different from what I would expect. And so maybe it makes sense of how these crowds could first praise him, but then come to crucify him. He's different than what they wanted. He won't do what they want him to do. And so we get to the end of the story, or perhaps through the story, we're called to make a choice. Because as we are confronted with who Jesus really is, and he's not like the other figures in the story, 
then we have a choice to say, who are we going to be? And I think that there are two options in the story. We can either be like the crowds, or we can be like the disciples. Those are the two options before us as we journey through the story of Holy Week. Are we going to be like the crowds or the disciples? Are we going to be like the crowds in that we, we actually have an agenda that we want Jesus to take up? And if he doesn't, then we'll crucify him? Are we going to be like the crowds in which we, we are allowed to, or we are allow ourselves to receive the Messiah as he is rather than think we need a Messiah who we have conjured up or who we expect? Is the Jesus that comes to us better than the Jesus we believe we need? Which is really a question I think that we have to wrestle with in Holy Week. Are we like the crowds who will be willing or who have and who do? We're all excited about Jesus and in many ways often we find ourselves parading around Jesus and throwing parties for Jesus and bringing Jesus in the city but at the first sign of trouble or tension, we want to replace Jesus with a figure who looks more appealing or a figure who looks much stronger or a figure who, who actually looks more like what we've concocted in our minds. Are we going to be like the crowds or are we going to be like the disciples? And here's the one defining marker of a disciple in the Gospels, and in the story of Holy Week. One who is with Jesus. A disciple is one who is with Jesus. That is the primary marker, marker of someone who is like a disciple. Because they were not defined by, they were not defined by clarity. If you look at the Gospels, and you look at the disciples, you would not be wrong if you said they look dumb. Because the gospel writers, in many ways, write to suggest that the disciples had this Jesus before them the entire time and they still didn't get it. So to be a disciple isn't, one to ha isn't a person who has clarity, nor is it a person who has tremendous courage. Because if you look at the story of Holy Week, when Jesus is betrayed, when Jesus is taken by the authorities, the disciples run away. And in many ways, they abandon Jesus. A disciple isn't one who has certainty. There's still doubt. There's still unclear. Even when Jesus dies at the cross and is raised again, you still have a disciple who says, I need to see the wounds of Jesus, and I need to touch those wounds to believe. So a disciple doesn't mean you need to check your humanity at the door. It simply means that you need, that we need to be with Jesus, with him as he comes into the city, with him as he defies our expectations, with him as he invites us to the table, with him as he washes our feet, with him as he's taken to the cross, with him as he's crucified, for the path of Jesus and the path of a disciple is to go to the cross, is to die.
That is the story of Holy Week of where it leads first to death. But it's a death that leads ultimately to life. It's a death that says, I will give up my life for the sake of others around me. It's a death that actually can bring about transformation. To be a disciple is to gather around the true picture of power, the true vision of love, and to trust that that vision, that picture of a Jesus crucified is the power that can actually transform a world. You, me, everyone around us. The story of Holy Week calls us to see Jesus as different from the other figures of power and asks us, who are we going to be in the story? And what path will we take? And so here's what I want to suggest to us or to you as we move into Holy Week. I'm going to suggest that you suspend for a moment or for a week your preconceived ideas and notions of who you think Jesus is. And let God show you afresh. Let Jesus reveal himself to you in a new way through the story of what will take place this week. Because I know some of you feel as if you might be part of the crowd, or there's a temptation to maybe fall back into the crowd. In that Jesus has come to look a lot differently than you wish he would look. Look a lot more challenging or maybe not a lot less comfortable than you wish he was. And so you, you want to reject him, or maybe you have. Or you want to replace him with a different vision or picture of Jesus. Well, I would like to encourage or challenge you to suspend that and let Jesus, through the story of Holy Week, reveal himself to you afresh in a new way. Because I guess one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping for or I'm desiring, and I've had conversations with many of you to suggest that this is true, is that it's easy to come in with our pictures of Jesus. It's easy for me to even provide a picture of Jesus. And you're like, I don't like that one. So I'm not going, I'm going to completely, I'm going to completely reject it. Or I was given a picture of Jesus growing up and I don't like him either. It feels so odd or it feels so different. Or he, you know what? He feels really exhausting. This whole idea of he's come to give life and to give it abundantly. Or he's come for those who are tired and weary. Or he wants to be my friend. Or he really, he really loves me enough to, to put his life on the line for me. Those things don't make sense to you. And I totally understand that. But I wonder if for this week you might be willing to receive Jesus as he truly is. As he might show himself to you. Instead of just reject Jesus that you've made up in your mind or that someone's given to you. Like, let Jesus be Jesus. And may we go into this week in awe and in wonder again of who this person is that would truly go to the cross. 
who this person is that would invite me to his table, who this Jesus is that would get on his knees to wash my feet. Who is this Jesus? But maybe some of you might feel like you're a disciple, but you're a disciple who's unsure or uncertain. You lack clarity or certainty or certainly, or maybe courage. And you're like, I want to follow Jesus, but it's so hard. Or I want to follow Jesus, but he's calling me into this area, and I don't know if, I, if I'm actually able to do that or to go there. Or I want to follow Jesus, but there's just something getting in the way, and I want to run, and I want to deny him. I wonder if you might find yourself there in that part of the story. Well, I'd like to consider for a moment that we are disciples on this side of the cross and resurrection in which we have the opportunity and ability to trust and to hope. And so maybe what Jesus is calling us to do is to trust and hope that Jesus, his story, what he's up to, what he's doing, really is the thing that leads to life, new life and fresh life. So I don't know where you are in the story, but I'd like, you to, I'd like to encourage you and challenge you this week to kind of enter into the drama of Holy Week in a new way. To see Jesus for the humble king that he really is. His vision of power as the true vision of power that leads to transformation. So right now we're actually going to enter into a time of, of prayer. So I'd actually like to call the people who will be praying um, to find your places either on the sides or in the aisles. Now this is a potential way of, of responding to Jesus. A way of actually entering into the story of Holy Week. And here's how I'd like to frame this for you. Maybe you're someone who resonates with that of the crowd. And in some ways you feel done with Jesus. And you might have made that choice already that you're through with Jesus. Well, perhaps this might be an opportunity for you to receive prayer. To suspend that decision for a moment, for a week, so that Jesus might show himself afresh to you. in a new way. But some of you might be like the disciples, and so for this time, this might be an opportunity for you to be like, yes, I'm with Jesus, or I want to be with Jesus, but here's where it's challenging in my life right now. I lack this clarity, I lack this courage, I lack this certainty, and it's just hard to keep going. And you need prayer to be sustained, to be empowered, so that you might be able to move forward, so that you might be able to actually follow Jesus to the cross. I don't know where you are in the story, but wherever you are, I know Jesus wants to meet with you, and I know people here want to pray with you, that you might encounter Jesus afresh, encounter the Jesus who's come to us, and to realize that he's a Jesus that's much better and much more beautiful than we could have ever hoped or imagined.